What's up, everybody? It's your boy Tom coming live from Oxford. How the hell are you? Or it's been a while since we released some content. Uh, I'm happy to be coming out with something today. Uh, we have a very special edition of the Heretic Show coming at you today. It's a little bit different to our normal uh, format. Today we're looking specifically at uh, the movies and the films of a director called Zala. And for this project, we brought in a bit of a movie specialist, um, also known as my brother Jake. So it's a short episode today, it's 45 minutes. If you've seen the movies of Zala, that's great. Uh, that would be Bone Tomahawk, Dragged Across Concrete, and Brawl in Cell Block 99. If you haven't seen them, watch the trailers on YouTube or check them out. They're good movies and it'll probably help uh, to engage in today's conversation. That's it. I'm going to shut up and pass you over to the show in a second. Uh, please enjoy. Uh, stay engaged on social media. We should have video content for this show so you'll be able to watch our lovely English faces uh, as we mumble about the movies. And we'll have more content for you over the next couple of weeks. We've got a couple of guests coming. We've figured out how to do things remotely, so that's good for the heritage and good for the show. All right, no further ado. Enjoy the episode today. Uh, have a lovely day. Bye. I think uh, I think we're probably let's online. Let's kick off. Um, let's kick off. Uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, how the hell are all of you people? It's so lovely to uh, well, not to see you or to hear you, but to speak at you again. Um, I'm here for a very special edition of the Heretics Podcast show, which has been off for a while. And in the absence of content, we knew we had to do something, and we thought, what better way than to do something a little bit different? So today's episode will have a slightly different focus while staying true to the uh, original Heretics special theme. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome today uh, Jake Sanders, my brother Jake Sanders. Jake, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, it's great to uh, yeah, be a sort of securing our place in the Guinness World Records for the world's first uh, film podcast. <laughs> it's about time someone crossed the Rubicon and did a podcast about movies. Yeah. Uh, that's very true. Could we and, be on uh, something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jake, uh, hopefully you'll be also, you'll be lucky enough to see both of us in full high definition video today, uh, possibly um, if, we, if we get around to it. So that'd be nice as well. Um, if you can't tell, Jake by his both his surname and his uh, eyebrow configuration is related to me uh, in the way of being my brother. Um, and uh, there's a particular reason that Jake is on with us today. Jake, maybe do you want to give us a bit of an introduction about kind of what you're all about? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I am a film writer. Well, not film writer. I write about film and uh, programmer. Although I haven't done much of that recently due to the uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, I work for something called Deep Winter Movies, who is like a underground film screening uh, initiative based in London. Um, and yeah, when Tom came to me with the idea of doing a podcast about uh, film heretics, uh, I pitched a few ideas and somewhat to my dismay i did sort of feel your your pulse quicken as i started describing the uh the world of s gray zala and i sensed that i was gonna have to come on and talk about sort of the uh one of the more kind of provocative and um genuinely kind of outsider film directors making films in the sort of current climate um so here we are uh i've got plenty of notes uh ready to talk about yeah uh, that, he's, he's not joking, guys he's got he's got binders full of zala uh he's he's come stacked to the gills he's been standing outside uh, a building in london taking photos of people coming and going for a while he's been connecting bits of bits of colored thread um so i think maybe just to clarify even before we jump in in terms of what the podcast is um obviously we do have a kind of oxford focus and the original concept was behind kind of uh, people from Oxford academic disciplines. Uh, in this case, what we're doing is, I think, taking a slight left turn and looking at one specific filmmaker and sort of the ways in which his movie making can be read as heretical and the concept of hereticism sort of in the film industry and what it means for people in today's climate. Uh, and hopefully also getting some good discussion about what I think we probably, we both agree are some quite good films as well, right? For sure, yeah. I mean, um, I have issues with the three films. Uh, it's unusual for me to have a sort of like, uh, a moral sort of quandary with a film uh, which comes out these days um which is unusual i think because yeah most of my issues with films are kind of aesthetic whereas i think that zala does raise some sort of interesting um trickier questions than, than you're than, you know than are typically being raised in films at the moment um but overall yeah i would say i enjoy all three films um some more than others but we'll, we'll get to that so maybe a bit of introduction as to what the hell we're talking about. I mean, I'd be curious to see what population of other the Heretics listenership knows one of the movies by name, knows who Zala is. I certainly didn't. I had heard the names uh, dragged across concrete and bone tomahawk before because they do tend to stick in your mind a little bit. I mean, there's something fairly audacious just about calling a movie dragged across concrete. It's certainly a very evocative title. Um, but it was only after Jake sort of um, suggested this theme that I watched all three movies, which for me was a you know semi-mild achievement actually to have watched three movies in a few weeks um, and began to see the sort of threads connecting the whole thing together. So maybe Jake, a quick introduction to who Zala is and why anyone should should sort of care about him? Yeah, so Zala is a writer, director, uh, heavy metal musician, and novelist who, you know, he's 46, and he's been kind of grinding in the industry for several decades, which I think does inform his films a little bit. Um, he sold scripts to places like Warner Brothers and HBO, but um, wasn't able to get any of them made until uh, Bone Tomahawk in 2014, where which was produced by a company called Sinistate, who have sort of positioned themselves as like an outsider Texas-based studio. Um, and because of the kind of uh, provocative and often problematic nature of the films, he has kind of uh, conjured this outsider reputation, which uh, he's contributed to by these sort of prickly interviews where he refuses to kind of discuss the politics or values that play in his work. And um, this kind of reached its apex, I think, with the casting of Mel Gibson in Dragged Across Concrete, which is a film that, at least on one level, is about police brutality in, uh, in modern America. 
Absolutely. And so I think, I think it's worth dwelling for a second on Zala because I, I found the research absolutely fascinating. And before we start talking about the films, Zala himself. So Zala wrote, I think he worked as a chef, was it, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in that time, he wrote something like, I think, he wrote, I think he said he wrote five Westerns. And then Bone Tomahawk was the first one that got picked up. So this man has written like two Western fantasy novels. He has a semi-established, what I'd call kind of trad-heavy metal band called Realm Builder, which we might talk about a little bit later on. Uh, he wrote just enormous, prodigious numbers of scripts. And Bone Tomahawk was the one that finally sort of got the attention of, of studios and, and someone actually decided to make it. Is that is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that is worth noting with Zalo is he does talk about how quickly he writes. So it takes him about a month to write a film, six weeks to write a novel. So um, I do think perhaps there is a... Um, quantity over quality with 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 some of this some of this stuff but the fact that his the output that we've seen is perhaps a bit slimmer makes it seem as if he's kind of been working towards these films his his entire life whereas i think that there's something to do with the kind of um the rapidity with which these these uh is that word rapidity speed sure. yeah. yeah yeah with which yeah. uh yeah, yeah. Which these, films, these films are written which maybe contributes to their kind of uh um imperfect or perhaps slightly like shaggy nature um mm. but yeah yeah i mean i think uh he 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 seems to include everything that he would find interesting about a movie like that right he doesn't seem sure. to be particularly keen of cutting the fat uh, especially yeah. and whether yeah, that's so, an artistic uh, yeah go on so i mean the the feedback that everyone apparently had on the bone tomahawk script was this does not need to be two hours 20 minutes but zalo insisted that it did which is why you have the sort of um these longer digressions of sort of conversation, meandering conversations when, you know, you really, you could be getting to the action much quicker. Um, and that's sort of a hallmark of Zala's films is these like protracted sequences, long conversations, which, you know, serve to build atmosphere, but which, you know, a lot of other um, studios might be like, you need to cut this. It's, it's, that's interesting because I think one of the more specious and less interesting comparisons with Zala's work we could make is Tarantino. I think that For would be sure. a, sort of yeah, a yeah, knee-jerk yeah. one because, I mean, let's be honest, they're violent movies and they have these, you know, these, these famous pop, sh- pop fiction-esque digressive scenes where the characters talk about, you know, uh, the struggles they're going through or their favorite diner or whatever or stuff that doesn't seem directly related to the plot and that's interspersed by brief periods of horrific violence. But I don't think Tarantino probably is the most useful comparison we could be making with Zala, right? I think that the thing with the Tarantino comparison is that they're both obviously directors who are drawing directly from their influences. But I think the thing with Tarantino is that like at Tarantino's worst, he's essentially just lifting wholesale from films mm-hmm. and sort of intelligently stitching them together. Whereas one thing that you can't really deny with Zala is that although, yeah, he's obviously influenced by people like Sam Peckinpah and Don Siegel, he is filtering all of these films through a very specific worldview um which you know makes his films feel distinct from the things that he's paying homage to so for example like kill bill is you know directly lifting from the lady snowblood films to the point where he was even having sort of the cast and crew watch it during during the production whereas i think with zala's films it's like yeah tonally and thematically they have some similarities to films like bring with head of afrodo garcia or dirty harry but he is grounding them in a much more contemporary context and i do think that the zala's kind of unique worldview which he doesn't really want to discuss that much is something that you that really comes through in his films in a way that tarantino's like boyish recreation of the things he likes doesn't you know doesn't quite do the same thing for me I think I think you're getting towards the heart of the point, really, in that in the trying to find a coherent ideology in Tarantino's kind of conception of the world through his films, I think is going to be very hard because I don't think he is particularly interested in uh, 
uh, I don't want to say human nature, but, but in, in, in a sort of um, conception of reality, so much as he is in the sort of highlight reel of, of, of interesting things happening and, and, and of um, reference to and pastiches of and influences from other movies, where Zala seems to pick sure. genres that resonate with him. And as you say, I mean, in a way, he's almost a pure artist in that he will pick, he'll read a bunch of stuff or observe a bunch of stuff that he likes and say, I'm going to make this. And then when he makes it, it's filtered through his mechanical process to produce what he thinks is a movie that that should be. So Bone Tomahawk is his take on the Western, and it has all these Western traits and Western features, but it has some specific Zalarisms, which we'll come to, which is, which is stuff like perhaps the racial overtones, stuff like the hyper-violence and the vivisection, and also a kind of Manichaean conception of uh, good and evil, which arguably is a Western trope, but it, it's all very Zala, isn't it, from, from, from top to bottom? And, and sure. before I let you talk again, I wanted to also talk about the time he takes of his movies. I mean, as a metal fan listening to Realm Builder, Realm Builder, his metal band, has songs like, you know, Advance of the War Giants, which are 15 minutes long. And uh, that's the style of a lot of those metal songs is just like, it's it's for fans. So it's for people who like 15 minute songs. And fuck you, I'm going to make it 15 minutes long, you know? Sure. I mean, that was um, one thing which Alice says is like, the reason he picks the titles in the way that he does is like, you know, there's only a certain number of people who are going to see Bone Tomahawk, a film called Bone Tomahawk. And he says 60% will like it, 20% won't like it um, because they'll find it offensive and 20% will find it boring. So, you know, he, mm. yeah, he's making it with a sort of specific group of people in mind who are people who probably enjoy the same kind of things that he does. But um, interestingly, Bone Tomahawk is an interesting example because I think the Bone Tomahawk is the one which is most um, derivative in a way, or at least the most, like, most like reflexive of um, film history because it's basically a remake of John Ford's The Searchers which is a film about, um, mm. you know, this posse of white guys trying to rescue um, these women from the sort of the clutches of the Native Americans. And, you know, the subtext of the mm. film is that it's all about this, like, um, you know, sexual anxiety uh, and, you know, fear of, like, these women being trapped in sexual bondage. And it's all sort of coded in the, in the racism of the, these guys feel towards the Native Americans. So, you know, Bone Tomahawk, although the idea of this, these, like, cannibal natives, whatever, is an extremely, like, quote-unquote, problematic uh trope to include in the film you know he's arguably just kind of satirizing the hysterical depiction of native americans in western history in the same way that the coen brothers did in something like the ballad of buster scruggs uh, and in that sense you know he's giving his audience like a certain degree of credit to understand that he's like satirizing these things um while also you know opening himself up to criticism of being just sort of outwardly you know racist or, or ignorant um Right. So, and this is exactly the line that he's treading on because because saying that it's a satire of the Western depiction of the other as a bunch of face painted cannibalistic uh, Native Americans is all well and good, but unfortunately the fact is that it's a movie about four white men uh, with moral um, with with with, with self professed moral authority saving a white woman from the clutches of a bunch of subhuman Native Americans. I mean that's that's on the face of it what the movie is and the inclusion of stuff like a sympathetic Native American character who you meet earlier who says, oh, well, we're, we're not all cannibalistic, ritualistic Satanist yeah, that's monsters. Yeah, is comically like, yeah. yeah. Is, is perhaps, I think, one of Zala's main errors and, and one of the things that some reviewers have, have really chewed him out over on Dragged Across Concrete. The, the gesturing, so obviously by having black characters, African-American characters, mm. you have um, one, one of the two cops in Dragged Across Concrete has an African-American wife and the depiction of the struggles of their life is sort of, 
is, I don't want to say played lip service to you, but it's certainly mentioned. Um, but I mean, do you not think that perhaps that is the key with Zardes? One of the key issues is how far are we to interpret this as a nodding wink to the general tropes of old? And how far is this a man making a movie about four white people killing Native Americans? Yeah, I think that um, that Zala, my biggest sort of criticism with Zala is that he kind of blithely presents like both sides and then mistakes start for complexity. And mm. I think, you know, one thing that's interesting is that although Zala is positioned as this, you know, complete outsider um, in terms of not making films sort of for prestige or for um, critical respect, he seems to be in kind of constant conversation with his critics. And so, for example, in Brawl and Cell Block 99, um, you know, people accuse that film of, of being racist or in, in sort of or playing on kind of like, you know, racial anxieties to sort of target a certain audience. And Zala in interviews seems to concede that he understands how people can think that. And he says he thinks that's because it only has a single perspective in the film. And mm -hmm. so for Dragic Cross Concrete, he's like, okay, well, we'll include multiple perspectives from sort of, you know, not just from uh, the white cops or from black characters. And that will, um, you know, that will sort of form a, a buffer against which, you know, he can sort of defend his, uh, defend his film. But I think, What's obvious, though, is that, you know, the Tory Kittles character, Henry Johns, is just not characterized with the same complexity or degree of sympathy, mm. really, that the um, Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson characters are. I mean, it's much more one note. And, and, and worse, I think, Zala layers on um, sort of plot aspects to sort of engender sympathy with the character in a way that starts to feel very, very forced like a disabled brother, a mom who's turned <laughs> to prostitution. Yeah, yeah. He went to prison for the, for the right reason. You know, it's like, mm, 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 you know, mm, in a indeed. way that I think is different to the kind of the much murkier complexity that you get with the Gibson and, and Vaughan characters. I think this is what's so interesting about it. And then I think it was the New York Times article you linked me today that made, made those accusations. I think about as well as they can be made is that, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to accuse someone of racism and they're saying, I'm not racist, and then the next day you see them, they're wearing a kind of Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt or something. I, I, as a poor example, that sort of performative, whatever you want to call it, performative wokeness or performative inclusion is one of the worst things you can do to sort of drag yourself sure. into the level of the discourse. And because the thing for me is when I watched Drag Across Country, I mean, I thought that the two African-American characters were obviously meant as a foil and a compliment to the two uh, racist cops. And they, mm -hmm. they were intelligent. They were, they were articulate maybe even a bit too articulate at points. Like he, he almost seemed to want to write them with deliberately uh, high levels of articulation. So, so as to kind of, you know, step sure. back from that. And you also have these kind of pure evil, Euro, you know, kind of classic 80s European baddies of this guy who's like, exactly, exactly. Just these kind of yeah, omni-European, yeah. super-efficient Germanic uh, killers who, you know, sort of transit to all that. Well, they're the, they're the really bad guys, right? So uh, everyone else is just yeah, doing yeah. the best of it. So Zala sort of backed himself into a corner and, and the more kind of gesturing he does towards that side of things, the more they, they seem to take that as an interpretation of his own guilt. Whereas if he just made the movies unapologetically uh, as they are, perhaps that would be more generously interpreted, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I know what you mean in terms of the fact that they are like sympathetically characterized, but for example, like, like Michael J. White, who plays Biscuit, who is Henry's, Henry's friend in the film. I mean, Michael J. White, like is a pretty like famous actor. Like he was in like Black Dynamite and like has a sort of cult following. And yet his character is so flat. They have the one monologue about like, the birthday party, which is like, you know, I don't actually think that, um, Salah is an un like sentimental writer, but I mean, but that scene is like much less subtle than the way that he kind of builds the character with, um, um, 
between Vaughan and Gibson in terms of like those sort of long conversations and the stakeouts and, you know, showing this kind of like this strange intimacy that they've obviously built over the years in a way that, you know, he basically just has like one monologue to kind of give you a full history of these, of these two characters. And it's like, you know, mm. the film's almost three hours long. I mean, he could surely have, surely have balanced it a bit more and made it a bit more interesting. Um, and even the mm. ending, I mean, cause the, the way that the film ends obviously with, um, mm. the Tori Kittle's character kind of victorious, but you know, the decision to have him honor his promise to Gibson's character does seem slightly antithetical to the, like, you know, the, um, uh, the, the, the bleak geez. moral universe, yeah. the ruthless moral universe that they otherwise inhabit, right? Yeah, yeah, and he has this whole thing you know, with, with the hunters and the lions and stuff like that, which needs to be saying, like, it's every man for himself out there, which I think is something which is a through line through, through Zala's films. And so yeah. to have this thing where it's like, you know, he sends the gold to Gibson's family, it's like, well, why? The guy, yeah, like, you mean, like, you know, it's just, it's, I'm not sure that, like, it completely, like, rings, rings true for me. Um, yeah, and that, it, to me, seems like Zala trying to work against his critics basically uh in a way that you know is is less interesting to me than the more kind of like brazen aspects of like born and Sabbath 99 for example so i agree i think so i think zala's response to this is i write characters and i put the characters into situations and i i see what they do and what what i like about the movies is that i i do buy the characters who are often very well acted and they're cynical racist jaded wisecracking review on humanity i see as completely believable and i see as completely like realistic mm -hmm. and the conversations they have about race and 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 also you know the way that they perform almost their racism to each other a lot of the times in Soulbot 99 as a sort of way of, of bonding on the force and like that i mean that all makes sense to me um but if you're going to have a kind of thesis which is well they're real characters they act in realistic ways then i don't think that that particular action at the end of, of that movie wrong true mm. for me and that tends to to, to scupper uh, a lot of what's been discussed so i think would we both agree that dragged across concrete has sort of is the most uh the most controversial and of of the movies partly because it deals explicitly with uh, issues of american racism and, and police brutality i mean maybe could you quickly explain perhaps like the the real touch points that people have, have sort of pushed back in terms of the casting in terms of the content and in terms of why that particular movie has been seen as problematic yeah sure i mean the big reason is that mel gibson is casting it playing a uh police officer who him and his partner played by vince vaughn are videotaped um brutalizing a guy on a uh on a fire escape and the video is is leaked to the press and so they get suspended and during this time they decide they have to stage this stage this heist so they can um you know earn some money and gibson can move out of his uh his neighborhood where his daughter is being is being bullied by sort of local uh black teenagers um i mean obviously yeah the casting of gibson was was a big reason um big reason for that although you know, what is noteworthy is that Gibson directed a film in 2016 um, called Hacksaw Ridge, which Hacksaw was like a huge Ridge. awards contender. Um, and, you know, was like, you know, had loads of big actors and had a huge budget. So it's like, you know, Zala puts Gibson front and center in a way that I think is different to the more kind of hypocritical way that Gibson has been embraced by the Hollywood mainstream, who are, you know, in some ways like celebrating Gibson's Gibson's comeback, but like, doing it with, um, you know, under the guise of like the prestige Hollywood picture. Whereas I think that, you know, um, Zala is at least in his eyes, I think he's, you know, he's forcing you to kind of like uh, confront your relationship with, with Gibson, the man in, in the film, specifically in the scene where they have the meeting with uh, Don Johnson, which I don't know what you thought about that scene.
Yeah, so I mean, this is so a, a little bit more context as well. So, so Mel Gibson, uh, obviously uh, persona non grata from Hollywood for anti-Semitic remarks and racist opinions, plays a jaded, grizzled, racist guy who's been run out of his organization through accusations of racism, essentially, or of racial yeah. abuse of someone. So even though Zala said that he, and, I, and I, I'm inclined to believe him that he wrote the part unedited and gave it to Gibson. I think possibly he even said that he didn't have Gibson in mind specifically when he wrote it, which, you know, fair enough. I mean, I'm willing to believe it. The fact that Vince Vaughn is also, I think, a college conservative as well, probably mm -hmm. provides a little bit more fuel to, to that fire of casting. So there's a scene after the two of them, um, they, uh, they beat this uh, Mexican drug dealer and then they sort of abuse his girlfriend who's naked and buxom and in the shower and they pretend not to understand her and sort of look at her naked and and, and do the kind of low-level shitty abuses of power which uh, which cops are you know notorious for and there is clearly a racial motivation to that when they're called into the office there's basically a sort of a, a, a paragraph speech by the uh, the the police off uh, police captain right who basically mm -hmm. says something along the lines of oh well these days everything is racist you know you can't you can't order a, a box of Kit Kats without someone saying that you're a monster and uh, you know the world's gone to the dogs and it used to be easier when we could all just be racist together I mean sure. it's 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 a, it's a speech that even if you think it comes authentically from that character's feelings and motivations is one of the more kind of didactic bits of dialogue that mm -hmm. we've seen although actually Interestingly, Jake, in, in Bone Tomahawk also, characters make speeches about their conception of reality, which seem to fit Zala's conception of reality, saying stuff like, the frontier is a terrible place and violent people make it worse. And there is a need for violent men to right the, the wrongs of, of, of the world. But sure. to go back to the racism speech, it is a on-the-nose speech that I'm sure had beer-drinking chuds across America, at least a few of them, raising their Bud Light in, in happiness to the TV as they watched Mel Gibson sort of succeed in uh, his, his, his uh, racial, you know, in his racial abuse and then, you know, for the rest of the movie. So I think it was probably the most close to the fire that, that Zala's stood in, in terms of what he's allowed his characters to say. His response, of course, is, my characters are not me. So I'd be interested mm -hmm. to see what your, take, what your take on that is. Yeah, and I think the scene works on another level as well, which is, um, do you know the actor playing the uh, police captain, who that is? No. So that's Don Johnson, who's also in Born on Sublet 99, who was one of the stars of Miami Vice. So okay. it's Gibson and Don Johnson, two faded stars of like 80s buddy cop series, basically stuck in this like drab corporate office, going through the motions of this like, um, you know, getting called into the headmaster's office or into, you know, into your boss's office and getting this like you know it's very kind of like boring like one note where no one seems particularly bothered but it's just kind of the whole scene is quite depressing and so i think mm -hmm. you know you can see it and um and this is kind of part of where gibson's casting comes in is it's like a reflection on the kind of like um this like faded machismo of like um of you know of the of the police force and how you know they we used to make these kind of films which celebrated the police and now you know the police is like a sort of you know it's a taboo subject and mm. you know obviously like this is you know this is not a a worldview which aligns with my own but you know there's a you know there's something there's something interesting there something provocative there and i think at least he's showing you that like you know, these are the kind of conversations which people in the police probably are having you know they yeah. are justifying justifying their behavior and on some level you know they do see themselves probably as people like um you know, like they're in Miami Vice or like they're in Lethal Weapon and stuff, you know, those are the things which they grew up kind of wanting to be. Mm. And, you know, now they're faced with this kind of like reality where, you know, that kind of thing isn't isn't popular anymore. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's very true. And, and having, for example, like a sexualized, you know, Mexican or Asian or black woman naked in the shower, that, that's such a kind of classic trope that you might see in a sort of 80s action film, right? The kind of scene where the, the naked girlfriend mm-hmm. is there and the cops are like, should we tell her to put some clothes on? Probably not, you know, and that would be played for laughs yeah, at yeah, that yeah. time. And now it's played for a kind of uncomfortable, skin crawling, racial, sexual moment. Uh, although, you yeah, know, it's, a, yeah, it's so, just fundamentally yeah, yeah. the same event, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen reviews of the film where they're like, this scene is blatantly played for laughs. And it's like, I don't really think it, I don't really think me. it is at all. I think it's, no. it's, it's, it's so sleazy and, un- and uncomfortable. And it's I'm trying like, to like these so depressing. And these two old, old guys, like, yeah. Um, these old like guys sort of go through the motion of doing this like banter. And I think that one of the things which I really like about um, Zala's films is how drab the aesthetic of it all is um you know he doesn't even have like so for example a lot of people criticize the the style of bone tomahawk as being incongruous mm. because it's shot on this like really like crap looking digital um and you know people would expect that to have that more kind of like you know the tarantino rodriguez like grindhouse look where it's like the old kind of like beaten up film stock and it has like a bit more of like texture to it yeah but you know Bazala just kind of really really leans into making the films look like just cheap and unpleasant mm. um you know and you know, there is this kind of like bland like almost yeah like corporate or like drained look to drag across concrete which i think really comes out in a in one scene which i wanted to get your opinion on actually which was um the scene with the, with the woman leaving her child behind so she can go to work yeah so i'm glad you mentioned that so that i thought was a really interesting scene for a number of reasons so just to explain so the two uh the two african-american gentlemen are on their way to uh well sorry they are supporting the european uh evil 80s baddies in their way to rob a bank which is a very a very long scene a very drawn out scene a very tense scene and one of the things i like about zala's movies is that the violence comes with such visceral unpredictability that no one is safe and main characters are regularly mutilated or blown to pieces in the middle there's absolutely no guarantee that anyone is going to get away at any time and a lot of the time your your heart is in your mouth waiting for something to go wrong now what zala does is he he introduces the scene through this woman i can't remember the name of the actress jake she's in a bunch of his movies right um uh, jennifer carpenter yeah i think so yeah and and she does a she has a she has a wonderful ability to sort of display barely repressed <laughs> madness and kind of hysteria like just behind her eyes and she goes to the house of her presumably boyfriend ex-boyfriend husband begs to see the baby and he basically says you have to go back to your work at your job at the bank you need to pay for the baby food please go you can see the baby for a second and she's so so on edge she returns there's this sort of enormous performative oh welcome back to work we're so happy to have you back as uh, the bank apparatus like we've made cupcakes or something for you and it's it's already long and painful you're kind of like who the hell are these people what's going on it's interrupted by the arrival of the uh extremely professional who are i think i think they're quite wonderful actually the kind of yeah the, the nihilists from the big lebowski except they they've yeah, yeah, recorded yeah. their messages and their their threats of violence it's it's, it's they're, they're wonderfully terrifying and truly Everyone is so intelligent in his movies about how they make their strategic decisions. It's really impressive. It's not a bunch of dum-dums running around with each other. Everyone is very two steps ahead of each other. And it's, it's quite gripping and quite thrilling. But they arrive. They make their threats. She has the chance to send an email to the police. She decides not to do it. She, she lunges to try and stop her colleague doing it and is uh, machine gunned brutally by uh, executed, essentially cries out to help her baby and then is executed uh, on the floor uh, by, um, by, by, by the European terrorists, uh, who I believe then also, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, emasculate, uh, cut, cut off the genitals of the bank manager as well in a, an additional yeah, kind they, of Zala-esque twist. Fred, Fred Melamed, they 
yeah, yeah, indeed. Which so, you know, so it's 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 cartoonish for sure in some ways, but I think that, and I think this is an interesting example because it's in a way my favorite scene in the film because it's so mm. formally audacious and so unlike anything I've ever seen before, and yet also perhaps a scene where like you can really project a kind of very reactionary, um, you know, message in, into it because. Mm essentially it's about the unnatural separation of women from their children to force women to go to work. And, you know, it's, it's showing you this, you know, this completely lifeless corporate space and, you know, in, and that we should also add that the, the, um, the film takes place in Bulwark, which is a fictional kind of anywheresville American town. So it's this, you know, this, um, anonymous workplace in this, in this made up town, there's no kind of um, identifying features of it. Um, and, you know, it, I think what Zala was kind of saying is like, look, in America, you can, um, you know, you go to work in these anonymous places, you know, you leave your family to go and do it because you're told that's what you have to do. But, that, you know, there's a chance that one day some maniac within a sorrow is going to come to work and cut you in half. And that's the reality of like, you know, living in America in one day, which is, you know, a very, very mm. paranoid, reactionary, like, you know, understanding of, of modern America. But... It's, it's captured in such a sort of like visceral and like shocking, shocking way. And it, you know, it really, really has, has stuck with me. And rewatching it, like it still had, you know, still had a lot, a lot of power. And it shows that, you know, Zeller is, um, you know, he's, he's, he's audacious and he's experimental because like the way that the scene is, is set up is the camera is completely still. And then you just see these figures just appear in the background in a way that is really, really frightening in a way that, um, you know, would be different if it was, like if the scene was all sort of shot like very like shadowy and like expressionistic and like noirish, then like these figures would look in some way like they belonged. But it's this really really bright space, and these these figures in black just appear mm. in a way that is really really chilling. And I think that um, yeah. you know Zalo is is doing a lot of kind of like formal things, which I think are almost more interesting than his um, than his more kind of blatant um, political um, and like antagonistic uh, aspects. I think that's a great point. And I think that also there's generally a, a lack of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it, is it exegetic? Or, or, or the, the music is, uh, there's, I think there's no music in that scene. I think it's also worth mentioning that I think Zala, mm. can, my understanding is for, is for Dragged Across Concrete, he, he wrote the music, then convinced the OJs to cover it. Is that, is that, is that right? Because uh, he, he, he's a composer himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but he also sings point, one of the songs. Yeah. There's a scene in the lineup. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, go on, go on. Uh, there's a scene in the, in the in the diner where there's like an awful pop song playing on the radio, and then uh, they're like, "Oh, is this a boy or a girl singing?" And you know, it's a sort of classic, uh, <laughs> yeah. classic bit of like Zala dialogue. Um, yeah. But that's Zala singing the song because he said he didn't want the OJs to sing it and then be insulted by the characters. That's funny. Is, that's, you know, that's funny. Sweet um, and it's sweet as it is in a very good way, but. That, but I think that's also funny because um, there's a, there's a few scenes in those movies of people. But there's there's some in uh, Cell Block Ninety Nine where he's driving in the car and there's some kind of anodyne saccharine like pop song like Oh baby, won't you let me be mm. in your car? Yeah, and he yeah, just yeah, like yeah. suddenly just starts smashing his hand and destroys the cassette. So if we're looking for kind of commentary on contemporary American society, which I, by the way, what you said before about you know the whole woman workplace thing that never occurred to me. It's really interesting. There also seems to be this commentary about the. Uh, to put it to put it to put it bluntly the, the horror of contemporary american society and and in in dragged across concrete you're shown the projects and you're shown the kind of crack addicted or heroin addicted uh uh pimping of of of, of, the, of his character's mother and the horror of that but but the next people are they live in the financial district and she goes to work at a bank and like mm -hmm. she's treated with like 
you know, love and a, and a plum. And actually, there's a lot of scenes in the movie where they go to kind of luxury shops to, to buy a ring and stuff, and they meet all these kind of high-level international criminals. And in a way, it's just sort of saying, like, everything from the top to the bottom is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible and rotten. It's rotten. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just yeah. rotten to the core. And these people are all criminals. Or, I mean, one word I used in my notes to Jake, which I think really stuck out for me, is, is, is Manichaean. In other words, that he has, mm-hmm. he seems to have a vision, especially in Bone Tomahawk, in Bone Tomahawk, most clearly, of a sort of, a sort of rotten world, a despoiled world, a kind of Gnostic world, but there are these kind of forces of like, of, of black and white and good and good and evil uh, that seem to control the world and seem to kind of manipulate people. In Bone Tomahawk, it's very one on one. Although that the uh, the uh, the four cowboys are themselves all kinds of problematic people and sort of drug addicts and rapists and mm. all kinds of of other things, they have this kind of horrific force that's so much worse than they oppose it and then in dragged across concrete you have four fucked up people committing crimes robbing people but at least they have you know the the nihilists as a kind of like bottom the nihilists who are willing to to cut to dismember you know a, a man to remove the key from his stomach um and that allows zara's mm-hmm. films a kind of moral hierarchy that that forces you to sort of be willing to identify with people who are not particularly good people you know hmm yeah, I mean, I think that the the thing with um, Bone Tomahawk, for example, is, you know, he does seem to sort of be actively trying to sort of create this no heroes kind of, um, you know, like worldview. I think you were talking about it in terms of like Blood Meridian and making this kind of like revisionist Western where it's like, you know, get, you know, um, getting rid of the, of the myth that there were, there were sort of heroes, heroes on the frontier. Um, yeah. But then, you know, you do have a sort of character like the Patrick Wilson character whose wife has been kidnapped who is basically not really given any kind of um any kind of edges to speak of mm. um which i think is something that you know even i would argue that like in zala's worldview that the character in born and Selwood 99 is perhaps you know he's not like a completely virtuous character but like they yeah they stack the deck against him so much that you'll root for him to do you know pretty much pretty much anything and, um and this is and I, yeah i think the, Sorry, Karen, yeah. no? I was good. I was good. This is perhaps the reading that if you believe that, let's call them, you know, chuds, reactionaries, conservatives, MAGA people across the world of all stripes and varieties. This is perhaps the reading that is the most, uh, gives the most credence to this criticism. These are movies about white or working class American people who have the odds so stacked against them by a corrupt, financially screwed up society that their violence and their skill and their drive and their sense of duty permits them to take what they want and to re rebuild the world in into a, a fairer way to them and that is generally encouraged in some way or endorsed by the movies D- does that make sense to you sure i think i mean i think that the the big thing with Bull and sub 99 is that you know there is a lot of kind of plot to basically justify so there's a lot of justification given to to you know just justify the plot, which is this guy basically just wrecking his way through a prison full of minorities and doing <laughs> yeah. this sort of and just you know scraping people's faces off and just smashing yeah. bones and just like and you know but it's like it's it's because nice nice people it's, sometimes it's, people it's, who don't seem too too awful you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. yeah as soon as as soon as the guards started being nice to him I was like okay well this guy's <laughs> yeah um, but you know and it's um, and it's it's funny because it's like you know Zala also is kind of like 
racist in like in like sort of unusual ways like the the big fuss made about the fact that the abortion doctor is korean like yeah they keep not, 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 not an like... abortion doctor exactly he is, exactly but you know, yeah. surely the most notable thing about him is that he like he, he fucks with unaborted fetuses not that he's of korean descent and yet it somehow is constantly yeah, yeah, mentioned yeah. that he's korean right 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 yeah exactly so it's like you know there, and like i think in that sense i don't know if you saw this thing about um Born in South 99, earning a, it was four, four and a half swastikas out of five on some like all right review side, which like, you know, make of that what you will. I mean, I, I, I like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that the level of criticism is not, is not, you know, at a particularly high level. But yeah. I think that what Zala's films do is, although I don't think that Zala is expressing a particular, a particular value system through his films, he leaves you enough room to project, which allows them to be embraced by a certain group of people. Because... Yeah. If you are surveying the your sort of Netflix queue as a sort of conservative or whatever, then really there are going to be a very slim number of films released nowadays which are going to in any way kind of support your viewpoint. I mean, very if true. you are looking for films which are um, patriotic, then you might have more chance. But because some of like you know the Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg um, kind of recent films. You know, they might sort of see you. There's a lot of kind of military propaganda or whatever that still gets released, like Six Underground or whatever. But mm. if you want the particularly kind of like black-pilled right-wing viewpoint, then Zala's films do reflect that, which I think yeah. is why that they have come to the fore, you know, in the in the Trump era, which has reflected a more kind of like nihilistic right-wing outlook than um, a more kind of jingoistic one. Because I think the Dragon Cross Concrete the controversy around it was framed as if it was like a Blue Lives Matter film. Right. But that is absolutely not what the, not what the film no. is. And it was funny, I was imagining, because they were saying that the, the films do a good trade in like Walmart and like the bargain bins. Yeah, I saw that. And I was, yeah. imagine, I was imagining like, you know, you're in Walmart, you pick up Drive Across Concrete, you know at the end of the film where it's Tory Kittles towing Mel Gibson and the song playing on the radio is called Don't Close the Drive-In. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> this really like mournful like elegy for America. I just think like really what i you know what i thought this yeah would be. yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah th th exactly that there are bits of those films that could get you fired up if you did have that but then uh, yes absolutely it it just seems that they they are well because because he's obviously a man who takes influence from so much of this stuff and films used to be racist i mean that's maybe the the key to mm -hmm. some of this is that the, the structure of movies used to be a, like an 80s action movie a white guy uh possibly with a black sidekick you know battling their way through Russians, Arabs, you know, whatever kind of ethnic group was 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 big that that particular time, uh, possibly sleeping with a woman of you know some other country's descent, and played for laughs and with a kind of force of moral rectitude that was unquestioned until we got to what like the the nineties, the the early forties or something, and so Zala's hereticism is his his refusal to engage in the games of. I, I don't want to say identity politics, but his refusal to turn away from that kind of classic format of movie making and his, his insistence on uh, doing it. And perhaps I think you will agree with me that what makes this conversation worthwhile and interesting is that the movies are good. Because if they were not good, we would just be talking about, well, we wouldn't be talking about it. We'd be talking about a reactionary director making wish fulfillment fantasy power for right, right wing white chuds, right? Sure. I think this is something which I find um you know surprising about about Zala's films is that it's quite hard to actually find a sort of really negative review of them because you know, there are there are a few of them scattered around but they're not by like major critics and major publications and i think that what this shows is that you know critics you know do like Zala because he makes provocative films and he's a, obviously an auteur and you know you know it's a singular vision 
there's formal innovation, you know, they're provocative, there are problematic elements, but like critics love, I think, you know, passing kind of the art from the artist and like, you know, being able to kind of like examine these films as a sort of, um, uh, as a sort of single entity. Um, and, you know, yeah, they are, they are well received. And it's like, I don't really feel like the, you know, the alt-right who are this kind of like imagined audience for these films, like, I don't know if they particularly care about like, about, about films even mm. like, if you look at something like the, um, like the Dan, <laughs> the, the Dan Crenshaw political ads, I think that speaks much more to the cultural diet of the modern kind of like young right winger, which is just memes and like Marvel movies and stuff. And like, you know, Zalas films, like, you know, they're throwbacks to people like, you know, like Walter Hill, Sam Peckinpah, Don Siegel and people like that. And, you know, I don't know if like the sort of like average kind of, yeah, like MAGA guy or whatever is like, is really, you know, engaged in kind of like film history in the same way that like Zala or the critics who like his work mm. are. It would be interesting to think about, I mean, for me, I was thinking about Harry Brown, which is an English movie about a mm. kind of uh, Michael, Michael Caine, old in the tooth, Michael Caine, ex-serviceman who like chavs throw dog shit at his house door or something. Yeah, so yeah. he sort of gets his trust, his trusty kind of r rifle from, uh, from World War II and just, just goes and murders a bunch of working class people, mm. <laughs> kind of Captain Tom Rampage while being like, <laughs> you know, delivering insights. <laughs> it's a, a very strange movie. Uh, that and also Gran Torino as well, which is a movie about a kind of grumpy white man who I think I think I think it's a Comtown bit that Nick made where he said that you know 100% the first draft of the script to Gran Torino it was him against a bunch of black guys and the guy was like you, they can't be black please make, make them mong make them mong or something so we can make this movie yeah, yeah, but yeah. a movie about the avenging of racial injustice which uh, you know and those are those are perhaps movies that seem to have a more kind of easy read uh, uh to to that kind of audience whereas uh yeah as you say i mean i don't i don't think it's fair to say these movies are made for or particularly consumed by uh by the alt-right yeah it's interesting that you um bring up eastwood because this was something which i kind of wanted to tease out a little bit which is perhaps why zala's films have been embraced um you know by critics on kind of both sides or you know viewers really on both sides of the political spectrum because if you look at the films which have come out like under, during the trump era I mean, like, what is The Shape of Water, like, really saying about, you know, um, the sort of political um, situation in America? I mean, it's this kind of, like, maudlin, like, love story, or a film like Knives Out is this kind of, like, you know, like, very, like, Reddit comedy or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas Zala's films have at least offered a more kind of, like, frank grappling with, like, post-recession America, with, like, the ugly racial politics mm -hmm. of America. And similarly, Eastwood, like, start, like, you know, in 2016 made American Sniper, which is a film which is mm -hmm. like constantly at war with itself with, you know, with Eastwood's, um, you know, desire to kind of valorize American soldiers while also, you know, grappling with the reality that Chris Carr was this like, like hideous, like Terminator, this like Frankenstein's monster created by the US military, who was just unleashed mm -hmm. in Iraq and just became like a killing machine. And then, you know, over the last few years, he has really, um, you know, been on a bit of a journey culminating in Richard Jewell, which is one of the most nuanced and like interesting, um, you know, looks at modern America that like I've really seen any, um, seen from any director. And, you know, I think what's interesting is that the sort of the liberal Hollywood mode of making films about these issues and stuff is like, is very like saccharine and very sentimental. Whereas I think that people like Clint and, um, and Zala who have a slightly more kind of like anthropological interest in like, you know, in like human behavior, I've kind of come out with the people making some of the more interesting films about about modern America, which, you know, I don't really know what that what that says, but I think what it does show is that, you know, Hollywood is not really up to the challenge at the moment 
of confronting right. these issues and making um, making kind of complex films. Well, I, I, you know what that made me think of Jake is, is the movie Black Panther, which maybe had a chance to in in a, in a mainstream setting to confront some of the incredibly complex and fraught problems of racial relations in America, and chose instead to I think really flee to a pure fantasy of of caricatures of of um, you know that that wasn't a movie that dealt with the complexities of the, the African American condition in, in in the modern day America, and, and maybe it doesn't have to be. But for people who are looking for movies that give them something real to, to to grab onto and and characters that they can relate to positively or negatively their mainstream hollywood is failing to provide the meat that people need to to engage with these complex questions and and zala's movies do seem to be doing that um w- would you agree with that yeah i mean like not like i'm not saying that like zala is like you know the uh the most like kind of nuanced um profit on this stuff but yeah i think that just in terms of whether you like the films or not the process of holding a mirror up to you know the ugliness in america is something which is interesting and which sparks debate and i think that's something which critics are you know respond to because even the negative reviews of zala's films and stuff like you know it opens up a a conversation about some things which you know um i'm not sure you're going to get if you go and watch jojo rabbit Mm. for example right right right, Um, and so that's that's kind of how I feel about 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 Zala's work, really, is whether or not you know I agree with the worldview that's on display. Um, there is at least an, like an attempt at kind of confronting um, some kind of form of of reality, and you know a lot of it is is complicated and difficult and ugly. Yes, exactly. But it, it might be the fact that at the moment the situation is so incredibly ugly that means that a director like Zalo is the only one who's going to have a chance of sort of talking about this because how are Marvel movies you know even though something like I don't know like these Captain America movies I think maybe try and talk about what it, loyalty and patriotism I don't want to get drawn too far into this it the, the current situation in sure. America is so dark I mean these are movies about working class um, disenfranchisement and unemployment about the, the prison industrial military complex about police abuse and violence about gun culture and about as you say even about stuff like women in the women in the workforce which you know skip me by the first time mm. but yeah what what board horror what what issues would america want to talk about less and kind of what you know isn't it good that someone is in his own auteurish way uh making making those movies i mean i think this is a big one for me with uh with zala was that you know the way that the films were described to me as these kind of like um reactionary fantasies and then Switching Ball and Subway 99, like, and like, I think you were saying it was like, um, like Kafkaesque in the way that it shows you the like, um, this hideous like bureaucracy of the prison system. And what I find, what I like about Ball and Subway 99 is it, is it peels back the layers of respectability of the American prison system to show you kind of like what's really underneath it all, which is just this like dumping ground where it's like, you know, um, where people are just locked away and forgotten about. And it's like, you know, obviously presented in a, in a very Baroque way, but, you know, it's memorable. And then like, you know, and you know the the visceral brutality means that you know these ideas ideas stick with you. Uh, I think in a way that they're sort of like, for example, you know um, I don't hate Adam McKay's recent films, Vice and The Big Short, but mm. the condescend the condescension in it of being like, look, we know that you're too dumb to understand this. So look, here's like you know here's a smoke show in a bath or whatever to ex- ex- explain it to you. It's so patronizing. Mm. I think that you know I like you know, in some ways, Zala's more kind of like shoot from the hip. Um, you know, let's make an ugly, brutal film to reflect, you know, what's, what's kind of really going on in America. Um, yeah, I think that in some ways does, does work for me a bit more. Absolutely. 
Um, cool. All right. I mean, I think that's all. That's all really good. And I'd like to thank you for introducing me to Zala, who whose Wikipedia page is really a, a really fascinating read. I mean, the man has written novels. He has metal albums. He has movies. He has sitcom scripts. I think his net project is a. I think it's an adaptation of a children's book or something like that that he wrote. So a real turn away from what he's been doing before. But an obviously yeah, incredibly yeah, yeah. talented and uh, prolific man. Um, so, so yeah, thank you very much for introducing yeah, me to the one... movies. And, yeah, go on. Uh, there, was, there was one more thing which I think uh, I wanted to just discuss briefly, which was the, um, the studio which funds Zala's work mm -hmm. and the role that they've had in maybe proliferating some of this stuff. Because... Um, yeah, there's Texas-based studio, and it's founded by this guy called um, Dallas Sommier, who um, both of his parents were murdered on separate occasions. And he, he gave this insane speech, basically, where he was talking about how um, the experience of that and of looking his killers, sorry, looking his parents' killers in the eyes in the courtroom and stuff reflected the kind of films which he wants to make. And they have basically gotten hot water for... Um, for focusing on on films like Zala's and another film called Standoff at Sparrow Creek, which is another kind of like neo-noir about a uh, American militia hiding out after a shooting at a police funeral. Um, <laughs> and he's also, he just produced uh, the film uh, Run, Hide, Fight, which okay. is the sort of, it's basically about a mass shooting at a school and about the kids who decide that they're going to fight back because they know how to use guns. And so, you know, Zala's, <laughs> interesting because he you know he sold scripts to sort of quote-unquote like legitimate studios like Warner Brothers and stuff in the past but he has ended up in bed basically with these with these people who were the ones who are financing it so um although you know Zala can sort of throw his hands up in the air and sort of you know try and claim that the films sort of speak for themselves the people who were sort of you know putting these films out I think are perhaps more cannily targeting the uh the American right than um than Zala is himself um but yeah that was just that was you know one final thing on uh on the studio but yeah no, that's good that's a, i think that's an interesting thing interesting thing to point out cool um great well i think that's i think it's been really interesting and I, I hope people can see sort of why why we've linked this to the heretics theme and, and sort of the the questions it raises and uh rather than going for something kind of horrifically obvious you know maybe talk about mel gibson specifically there's just a number of elements in this that i think are about what to me what heresy is which is which is deviation from the orthodox and and doing what is not uh not allowed in inverted commas um and doing it in a way in zala's case with such a plum and undeniable skill and i think subtlety that it forces me and you to have this kind of in-depth conversation and makes it very hard for people to write the kind of negative lambasting reviews that perhaps they would like to have written um where they say this is just mm -hmm. a you know piece of reactionary art of, of no value he's successfully immured himself from that kind of direct criticism and i think it's been a really good uh, good example of sort of how hereticism can sort of exist um and maybe says a fair amount as much about the American Hollywood system as it does about Zala and his movies as well, that he is put into a camp with people who might just be, you know, neo-Nazis and stuff rather than uh, folded into the mainstream as, as a talented filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I think, I think one, one thing that which sticks out to me is uh, in, the, in the Guardian review by sort of Peter Bradshaw, who's the kind of like ultimate, like, Guardian stuff shirt describing Dragicus Concrete as horribly compelling, which is, I think, <laughs> you know, it says a lot about the way that anyway, people sort of like, you know, they have the, there's a sort of like, you've got to hand it to him mentality with, with, with Zala, which I find interesting. And, yeah. you know, I think maybe, um, 
Yeah, I'm not saying that we need sort of more films like Drive Across Concrete, but I think it's definitely, you know, provokes yeah. interesting, conversa- interesting, interesting conversations. Like, I'm not going to be saying, like, this is the film we need right now or yeah. anything like that. Um, but, you know, if, if a film is a sort of inter- interesting interesting role, and, you know, I would definitely, definitely be interested to see what, what Zala does next, especially as he says it's a, a sci-fi film about wonder and imagination. So can only imagine what that means. What that means okay, to, well, if there's not at least some dismemberment in it, I'll be asking for my money back uh, uh, at this point. Yeah, yeah. Great. Jake, is there anything else you'd like to say about, about Zala, about uh, Heretics and stuff like that before we start wrapping things up? No, I think that's it. Um, follow uh, at Deeper Movies on Instagram. Uh, yeah. some big, big announcements coming, coming up soon. Um, but yeah, besides that, that's it. That's it for me. Thanks for having me so, on. Just, no, no, Thanks no for watching the films. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Yeah, so I mean, just very quickly. So Jake is a very talented film writer uh, and a bit of a film genius buff when it comes to that. So I think Deeper Into Movies is is currently his uh, the frontier on which he is uh, writing what the world needs to read about movies, uh, along with his first foray into an audio format, um, which has been, I think, really, really, really fun. Um, and uh, so follow Deeper Into Movies. Would people still want to check out Fold Films? Your uh, previous, do you want to talk about that quickly? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, at one point I was running my own kind of underground film night, uh, Folds. Um, but yeah, uh, since I started working with Deeper to Movies, I've had to stop doing that. But the website is still live, uh, foldfilms.uk. Um, there's some interesting writing on there. Um, yeah, have a look if you're interested. And yeah, feel free to uh, get in touch if you want to be involved in any of that kind of stuff. I'll Fantastic. speak to you. Jake, thank you very much. Yeah, so for great. everyone else out there listening, uh, we're really glad to be back. There will be more Heretics content live. If you're hearing this right now, it means we figured out the technology to do remote Heretics, which is something I was against at the start. But unfortunately, there's some pesky bug going around at the moment and people don't want to come over to my house. And so uh, this is uh, perhaps the wave of the future. Um, so hopefully we'll have more special edition Heretics stuff like this coming up as well as standard episodes with uh, Oxford Academics and stuff like that. So I hope you've enjoyed this little slice of hereticism. Uh, I strongly encourage you to go watch the movies of Sala. I would probably say to start with Bone Tomahawk. Uh, that was probably my favorite of the three, uh, but oh, all three are good. Perhaps for me, Cellbot 99 was a little bit more of a, um, what would I say? Uh, it probably, the minutes felt a little bit longer watching that movie than some of the others. Um, but he's certainly uh, dragged across concrete and Bone Tomahawk I would highly recommend. And uh, yeah, um, stay connected. Guys, please follow us on Instagram is the best way, at Heretics Show. Uh, I'll be linking the show on here. You can subscribe through the RSS feed linked on the website. I'll be putting a link to that as well. We should be on iTunes. I'm trying to find the easiest way to engage with it. And hopefully we'll have some video clips from this show as well live on YouTube. So please expect more content coming up. And please tell us what you thought of the show. Uh, more of this, less of that. You know, which one of us has better hair? Kind of this is the questions that we need to know. Uh, so please bring it to us. And uh I'd just like to thank Jake. Thank you so much for all your effort. Uh, Really, really enjoyed the conversation and thank you for coming on. Yeah, good stuff. All right, mate. Cool. Cheers, guys. All right. Stay safe out there. Stay heretical and we'll wrap it up now. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.
Oh